The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tolst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to The Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz at Spark Parade on all social media. Thank you ever so much for joining me this week. Not only do I have two different guests with two different sparks, we are having two separate conversations. Can you believe it? It's two for one. Buy one, get one free, etc. I just felt like you needed a little bit of extra fun this time around. Very kind and generous, right? Don't mention it. All I want is for you to be happy. So, first up, you'll hear from Cub Sport frontman Tim Nelson talking to me about his spark, Jesus at the Gay Bar, Jay Hume's poem that inspired Cub Sport's new album and even shares its name. Then you'll hear my chat with Takataka bassist Mishka Stein about his spark, Ridley Scott's incredible, legendary, life-affirming masterpiece of a film, Blade Runner. Quite an exciting array of delights, wouldn't you say? So, let's just dive right in. Quick Tim facts. Tim Nelson is a singer, songwriter, and musician who fronts the indie pop band Cub Sport. Originally formed in Brisbane, Australia in 2010, Cub Sport has released four studio albums to date, including their most recent, Jesus at the Gay Bar, which was released in April of this year. Speaking of which... 
Quick, Jesus at the Gay Bar facts. Jesus at the Gay Bar is a poem written by Jay Hume and published in his book, The Backwater Sermons, released in 2021. In late 2019, Hume's fascination with old church buildings turned into a life-changing encounter with the God he had never believed in, and he was baptized in the Anglican Church, an experience that inspired the Backwater Sermons. And rather than describe the poem to you, I'm just going to read it. How's that? Here we go. He's here in the midst of it, right at the center of the dance floor, robes hitched up to his knees to make it easy to spin. At some point in the evening, a boy will touch the hem of his robe and beg to be healed, beg to be anything other than this. And he will reach his arms out, sweat damp and weary from dance. He'll cup the boy's face in his hand and say, My beautiful child, there is nothing in this heart of yours that ever needs to be healed. And there you have it. Time to get stuck into the good stuff. Here comes my chat with Tim Nelson about Jesus at the Gay Bar. So first port of call um, with these chats is always your kind of origin story with the piece we're talking about. So do you remember coming across this poem for the first time or, or being turned on to it? Yeah, I came across it on Twitter. I think it must have been at some point in like 2021. Hmm. And yeah, as soon as I read it, I mean, the the name really drew me in and I was like, this is interesting. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, when I read the poem, I was like so moved by it and it really stuck with me. Um, and then, yeah, about a year later, I made the decision to call the next Cub Sport album Jesus at the Gay Bar, named after the poem. Mm. It's, uh, I mean, there's a, a lot of stuff to dig into here, but just the title alone is evokes this, you know, very strong image. Um, and I find the uh, J. Hume. Is that how you pronounce his name? Whom? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Let's just call him Jay. Yeah. His kind of journey to Christianity is really fascinating to me. Like I, I'm very not religious. So um, you know, I don't I don't have that experience in, in my life, but um hearing him talk about coming from a, a relatively secular background and being a trans person and kind of having the experience of of feeling like for a variety of reasons uh religion in general but christianity in particular were not for him that that was a world that he was not going to be a part of because of his transness because of he he just hadn't grown up in uh you know a, a religious household in a religious way and to have this you know sort of epiphany during the pandemic and kind of come to Christianity and be able to incorporate religion into his life and say, just because I'm a queer person, that does not mean that this is not for me, that there isn't a, a, a community that is part of religion that I can uh, be a part of. That's the, the exact opposite. I get to choose how I live my life. And yeah, having that foundation was really interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of like the the opposite of what my journey with religion has been like like I I grew up in 
an incredibly Christian environment. I went to a Christian school that was attached to the church that I went to. And I also went to like a youth group thing, which was on Saturdays. So for a few years of my life, or more than a few years, I was like going to this church like seven days a week. Yeah, so like Christianity was like in infiltrated into like every part of my life. Like I didn't even really know people who weren't Christians except for like a couple of neighbours or something. But yeah, so that was like the only world that I knew. And then as I got older and my queerness became like more apparent to me and something that was like harder to ignore um I yeah I spent years like praying to be healed from being gay and praying that God would change me and that I could just like wake up and like feel like normal like straight or whatever um and then yeah as I as I got more comfortable with like who I am and started to kind of like meet more people outside of the world that I grew up in. I, yeah, I definitely left those beliefs and like most of the people that I knew from that world who were still involved in it behind. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really interesting to, um, to come across Jay's work and to read about his story and, it's like it's so beautiful to me that there are um, Christian communities who are accepting now and that this is obviously something that resonates and like brings a feeling of connection and stuff for Jay which is really cool I think coming across this poem and seeing the I guess like growing up like everything was all about Jesus and I grew up being like I love Jesus like I I want to like do good. Like I want to, I want to be how Jesus would want me to be. Um, and then I, yeah, I think like deep down, I had this feeling that like who I was or like a big part of who I was just like, wasn't good. And that it was something to be ashamed of and that sort of thing. So to see it like flipped around in this way where Jesus is like, there's nothing in this heart of yours that ever needed to be healed. Even though I don't like subscribe to, Christianity or anything anymore I feel like it's still so like deeply ingrained in me because of the way I grew up um so yeah reading that and the impact um that it had I was like kind of I was kind of surprised at how much it meant to me Mm. yeah and I guess the thing that really struck me is like the, the imagery it feels like being in a gay bar, being on the dance floor and the the freedom that comes from that, being in a queer space with all queer people and feeling, you know, at least for me, it's like when I was, you know, in my 20s and going out, the relief of just being with queer people and the freedom of not having to, you know, live up to anybody else's idea of what I should be or anything. It's just, it was, it's, it's very relaxing. And having that feeling of being on the dance floor and still having those insecurities, feeling like, you know, am I okay? Do I have a place in this world? And I think anyone, whether they're religious or not, can relate to the idea, I mean, and any queer people can relate to the idea of having a space that's safe and being told, whether directly through words or just from the community that's around you, that you as you are, you, you're just perfect, you're fine, nobody needs to have, you don't need to change yourself 
to, you know, conform to anybody else's idea of what, what you should be. And uh, when I was uh, doing a little research, I found this podcast that's like these very cringy, uh, super right-wing Christians doing an episode about this poem and being like, well, it's called Jesus at the gay bar. And I can tell you for sure that Jesus did not go to a gay bar. Just kind of completely missing the point. But yeah, as somebody who's not religious, again, even I know (laughs) that the teachings of Jesus, the idea that there's only one way to love him, that there is only one way that he loved people. And he had really strict ideas of, you know, like a series of, uh, items to take off of his list that if you meet those criteria, then you can receive his love. It's like, that was not at all what it was. Um, and I think Jay is, you know, that, that was part of what brought him to Christianity is having that feeling that it's this unconditional acceptance, which is, you know, for anybody, I think is, is pretty special, pretty amazing. Absolutely. Also at a time when queer people in general, but trans people in particular, are the focus of so much bile and you know misinformation and disinformation coming from really conservative people and a lot of times from people who are Christians. It's an even more powerful image to me that a, a trans person saying, you can't tell me that this isn't for me um, and that I'm not welcome. I am going to find my own version of this that will, you know, it's it's part of my life that makes me happy. I feel fulfilled being a part of it. And nobody is going to tell me that that's not okay. Yeah. So powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do, did you, I, I, do you, do you have any kind of connection still to anything religious or is it all kind of gone? <laughs> um, some of my family are still quite religious and have ties in that world my mom still goes to church and everything Mm. but I think that her I guess like her relationship to Christianity and the church and everything has evolved over the years especially since um the days when I was like young and being taken along so yeah like she she's like super supportive of me and my husband Sam and there are kind of there's like a bit of a group of like Christian parents of gay children who mm. kind of support each other and help guide other Christian parents through that experience of like having their child come out as queer, um, which is really cool because it's that's very different to to how it was when I was younger and yeah I think it's I think it's really awesome that my mom can now kind of help other people who are in like going through the same thing that I went through to help make that journey like a bit smoother and help the parents kind of understand it. And I guess like, yeah, evolve in their own belief and interpretation of Christianity. Yeah. And uh, you know, the stuff that you were saying about the struggle uh, to to come out to kind of accept who you are bef- even before you deal with what other people are going to think about you being queer that I think that that is a very common thing for queer people you know I think people are uh, queer people are really lucky if they don't go through that process and like I had the most ridiculously supportive family 
and it still took me a long time to kind of get over myself. And, you know, I had all these like melodramatic thoughts. It's like, oh, my life is going to be so hard and I'm, you know, nothing is, I'm not going to be the same as everybody else. And, you know, working through all of that shit, when I have these really supportive parents and other family members and, you know, people who are ready to just say, of course, like we knew this, this is great. So yeah, just getting, uh, parents and other family members to a place where they can give that kind of support to their kids and you know like you said help other people to to get to that point too it's um it's really fantastic and really it's it's doing this amazing thing for the world it's making you know the world a a safer place for queer people which is which is pretty spectacular yeah so well done your mom (laughs) yeah yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, I um this whole book of I don't know have you read any of the other poems in this this book because it's all kind of Yeah, yeah, I I read the whole thing last year. Mm. Yeah. It's so um you know, like I said that the the way that it's written it feels like somebody who has has had Christianity in their life for a much longer time and this is really like I think he his experience of really identifying as a Christian is only something that's like two years old. Yeah. It's, it's just very interesting. Have you heard him talk about it as well? Um, no, not really. Only really kind of like brief things on Twitter and that sort of thing. But yeah, there, there were a few poems in the book that felt that, yeah, I, I've, I kind of I connected to in a pretty meaningful way. I feel like there there were parts of it um, that I like didn't resonate with as much. I guess just because of my experiences growing up. Mm-hmm. But there were there were a few that like really I felt like they like transcended my experience of Christianity and kind of tapped into like a, a bigger picture of connection and who we are and how we connect to something greater and mm-hmm. yeah it, i and i really enjoyed reading the whole thing and it's yeah it's just so it's so interesting to to see mm-hmm. kind of like a yeah a, a journey in reverse but like i i feel like jay has clearly like come into um place that feels like safe and feels right and i feel like i've kind of like come to that in in like a different way outside of that but yeah it's cool yeah and i think you know uh the ideas that the core of um what you know whether whether you're coming from a christian perspective or like i'm i'm jewish um the 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 heart of judaism the heart of islam all these major religions i don't identify at all with the supernatural stuff or you know the religious doctrine but at the heart of all of these religions is this idea of people, again, like you said, being connected to each other, that the whole world is that there there is some kind of common thread and that we're all uh, we should all aspire to be kind, to look out for each other, to love as much as we can while we're in this world. And those ideas are like to me, the most universal things. And I understand why they're all infused in all these religions. And for me, I don't need the supernatural part to kind of make those things make sense. 
but some people do need that framework and you know however you come to those ideas i think as long as you're not persecuting other people and trying to force your version of those ideas on other people it it feels okay to me um and yeah just the 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 way that he's come to deal with those concepts is um is really interesting yeah i feel like i i follow quite a few people on twitter who are trans who are christians and um i mean i do find it hard to understand um when you're a person whose entire identity has been rejected wholesale by a large part of the the religion that you you want to be a part of that to me it feels like there's a lot of kind of uh careful navigation and picking and choosing the parts of the religion that you want to subscribe to and part of it is just interpretation as well that you know really conservative Christians who hate queer people interpret the Bible to say that that's what the Bible is all about. But again, I just, I, it's, it is fascinating to me that people who, at least to my mind, have really taken a lot of shit <laughs> from this religion can still feel like it is for them and there's a place for them there. Yeah. It's cool to see, I guess, yeah, to see it evolving and becoming probably something that's more aligned with what um with what it was meant to be rather than these kind of like super conservative interpretations of everything right yeah kind of uh living it in in your own way and making it your own thing not having to subscribe to somebody else's idea of of what it is Mm -hmm. yeah it's pretty cool uh well i feel very satisfied um do you you feel good? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it we is. did it. Yes. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for making time for me. This has been really great. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. We are going to take a tiny little break, so stay right there, and we'll be back before you know it. Thanks again to Tim Nelson for chatting with me. The new Cub Sport album, Jesus at the Gay Bar, is out right now. Okay, moving swiftly along to the second half of our feature presentation, it's time for Takataka's Mishka Stein and Blade Runner. Quick Mishka facts. Montreal-based Mishka Stein is the bassist for psych rock band Takataka and also with singer-songwriter Patrick Watson. Takataka creates a sound reminiscent of 1960s and 70s era psychedelic Japanese soundtracks with a frenetic modern twist featuring traditional Japanese instruments, flute, and trombone alongside raging guitars and a pulsing rhythm section. Their new album, Hagata, will be released on June 9th of this year. Quick Blade Runner facts. Blade Runner is a 1982 science fiction film directed by Ridley Scott and starring Harrison Ford, Rutger Hauer, Sean Young, and Daryl Hannah. It's an adaptation of Philip K. Dick's 1968 novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? The film is set in a dystopian future Los Angeles of 2019, in which synthetic humans known as replicants are bioengineered by the powerful Tyrell Corporation to work on space colonies. When a fugitive group of advanced replicants led by Roy Batty, played by Rutger Hauer, escapes back to Earth, burnt-out cop Rick Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, reluctantly agrees to hunt them down. A box office failure upon its release, 
Blade Runner has since come to be regarded as one of the greatest science fiction films of all time. And it is regarded that way by me. And for the second time in one episode, there you have it. Here comes my chat with Mishka Stein about Blade Runner. I need to uh, preface this with a little disclaimer. Like normally, you know, I can find my way into whatever the guest chooses to talk about. This is like one of my favorite movies of all time. I've seen it more than almost any other movie, I think. And so let's get into it. Um, that's that's, okay, that's cool. how I feel. Nice. Same here. Yeah. So the, the kind of starting point is always uh, your origin story with uh, this this movie. So do you remember hearing about it for the first time or seeing it for the first time? That's the one that's funny because that's the one thing I was trying to recall. And my best, I think, I think I must have seen it on. So I live in Montreal, uh, Quebec, Canada, and I think I must have seen it on the television. And it might have even been in French, which is our uh, official main language here. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably when I was like roughly let's say 17 yeah somewhere around there like high school and I think it just it caught my I later you know I later came back to it in a in a kind of an obsessive way you know as I as I you know as my musical kind of thing started building at at the same time I think I think the connection is I think that's what's crazy about this movie is that the screenplay and the soundtrack can both stand on their own so yeah, when I yeah, I guess when I was young, but for many many years it was I would go to sleep listening to the soundtrack and I would watch the movie at least once a month for for years. I think it was kind of it felt like it was Star Wars for adults. I just felt I felt a little bit more grown up and I don't know the I think the Vangelis's music is it's just such a the movie is just such a collection of incredible moments like cinema cinematography you know like if you if you take a screenshot at any point you would have a beautiful poster you know and uh so it's just so striking and then the way the music relates to a lot of the a lot of these scenes it's so fragile and it definitely colors it but i just i I guess i love vangelis's uh melodic he just has such beautiful melodies. I was revisiting it just before interview and I was listening to the trilogy. I don't know if you've ever, you know, everybody knows the soundtrack, but then there is, they, they released uh, a lot of other musical little moments and they're all just, just gorgeous, you know, and I, I don't, I didn't remember them necessarily until I heard them again. I was like, oh yeah, that, that's an amazing cue. Yeah. So just both things together. I think for me, it's just an example of sort of the most balanced perfect thing as far as yeah it was it is my favorite soundtrack and it is one of my definitely one of my favorite movies so for a musician that's that's big and definitely inspired me i think as a you know i'm a, I'm a bass player i play in, in this and Teke Teke, the, this Japanese uh, psych rock thing from Montreal. And I also have been playing for over 20 years now with Patrick Watson. I don't know if you know who that is. And both the, I think both, both of these projects and other things that I do are always connected somehow, mm. at least on, on my end. If I'm composing something, it's always, it always has a, it comes with images, you know. 
I don't know if it's just uh, just Blade Runner or what I'm what I'm interested in, but but yeah, I love I love that movie. There's just so so many amazing moments, so much amazing the attention to detail and the the cast, some of the best lines too. You know, tears in the rain, mm. which I think that was an improvised moment for for uh, Rutger. You know. The whole that whole speech soliloquy. He I, it was already written, and then he wrote, rewrote it. Yeah, in the in the movie when he delivers that line, he he kind of looks. He just has this little smirk, and <laughs> it just makes me laugh because mm. he landed a, a big one. Yeah, and I I think uh, what you were saying about the fragility of the soundtrack. There are elements of that throughout this whole film that it's like feels like a world that's kind of held together, you know, with string it's like this version of the future that people were used to having sci-fi movies be like the future is aspirational and it's going to be so much better and it's going to be glossy and clean and everything's going to be great and instead it's this world that's like dilapidated and there are you know the technology at the time there were things about it like you know enhancing the photo and zooming in that were just like oh wow you know someday maybe we'll be able to do that but a lot of elements of it just felt really scuzzy. And yeah, it feels like a, the, the, a world that's kind of on the brink of something terrible. Yeah. And scuzzy, scuzzy, but, but uh, like very fashionably scuzzy, you know, like. <laughs> right, right, right. Like so cool. Everybody looks great. The makeup, the costumes. It's very cool. You know, the neon, mm-hmm. the dark, the neon, the colors, the slowness of it, but it's not even too slow. You know, I can, I mean, I actually, I'm, I grew up watching a lot of, um soviet films because um i'm from soviet ukraine so i you know at probably at too young of an age but normal for us i'd seen like solaris you know the original solaris so like me watching that as an eight-year-old it's like four hour right you know (laughs) like it's a lot to take in so this was actually this was actually kind of like bubblegum for me in 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 a nice way you know it was beautiful beautiful idea brought to the screen and like also i don't know something about 1982 i don't know if you Mm -hmm. 82 was like a for some some sort of weird reason like a big year for music and and film something was going on i can't actually i just it's more of a feeling actually but i can't name like another another film or a piece of music but i I feel like whenever i I look at and I, i see 1982 i'm like oh yeah something going on there yeah yeah and just this uh film and the soundtrack in particular kind of created it uh template for what was to become the standard in science fiction and uh, sort of in film scoring as well that it was like not just the story the set design and the music both kind of being characters in the movie the soundtrack uh almost beat by beat just like little notes thing just embellishments during action sequences during quiet moments to just kind of drive the the story in a way that was so unique and then having this like scuzzy but absolutely gorgeous world that both feels entirely foreign and entirely familiar and i think that's another kind of weird uh kind of dichotomy involved in this film is that it's like definitely the future but there are so many elements that are familiar about it. It's, you know, that kind of noiry thing that everybody, you know, had been experiencing for decades. And it's the same thing with the soundtrack, that it's got those noiry vibes, but also 
you know, jazz um, and then synths that were used in a way that's, you you know, was pretty novel at the time. It wasn't cheesy. It wasn't like, eh, eh, it's a robot. It's yeah. like subtle. Yeah. The little twist, the little twist, you know, we like, we can only handle so much, you know, and it's got to be kind of a perfect storm. I, I just mean in terms of, uh, you know, how, like example, Radiohead, they're, they're always just, just about a week and a half ahead of everybody you know like you'll hear the music for the first time and personally i'm like uh i don't know about this you know and then give me give me like a week and then and then it's the most beautiful thing then it kind of unravels and and i find that that is a really good point because that's you kind of want to you want people to to know how to digest something but you don't want to scare them off you know so this is for sure like you said, it's a film noir, so we know, we know what that is, and but now it's just uh, brought to you in a slightly, in a way that you you've never. It's not noir, first of all. It's not not black and white. It's very neon, very uh, saturated, and and the music is such a big part of it. Yeah, it was just the whole thing was just so it blew my mind. <laughs> it still does, yeah. and it's still you know I can I I think I, I'll be ready to watch it again and feel the same way about it yeah yeah and you know outside of the visual style and the music just the, the story i think another thing that's unique is it it has this kind of veneer of coldness because it's such a like harsh world but also the like warmth of the light and the colors and in the story the way that the replicants are initially you feel like they are these evil like you know robots who are out to destroy the world they just want to exist they just want to exist and that's that soliloquy the soliloquy at the end the the monologue that is so famous rightfully so and is like you know the the, one of the most powerful things in in cinema that it is this you know android wanting to be human talking about how he's had these experiences that no one else could possibly ever have and all that's going to be gone because he's going to die and saving Deckard right at the end because it's like sh- showing his humanity, showing that he has the ability to to be compassionate, um, and it's just it's just brilliant. Yeah, that speaks to everybody for sure. I mean, if your lifespan is only four years old, four years or seventy nine, you know, I think at the end of it, it probably feels the same. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, you know, again, a film that laid the groundwork for all of the science fiction for a lot of other kinds of film that have come after it and to have that be a movie that was completely disregarded and made like ten dollars at the box office when it came out right um is those moments are really fascinating to me too where it's like you know it takes uh a decade for people to really begin to appreciate it that's right i don't even know if it was that long I, i think it was you know by the time it was uh out on vhs i wonder how it came back yeah i don't I, yeah I'm not, i didn't maybe nerd out enough that's not not my style you know i don't i never you know even with music i've never kind of even with my favorite band i would never learn the song i just want to kind of understand their chemistry and like what makes it beautiful not some i guess maybe part of it is just not wanting to de- demystify it you know right i you, the the nerdy side of things is is my department <laughs> but uh i mean bo- both things it's like it's about the emotion and uh you know the the personal connection that you have to those things but i love you know knowing kind of the history of stuff as well and the 
Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott didn't get along with each other. Harrison Ford hated this movie for a long time. Apparently, Rachel, uh, Sean Young and him also, the, the chemistry wasn't on at all, or maybe even super displeasant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to have, you know, this, this uh, none of it shows. And no. um, to, to have kind of a fraught production that still creates this totally amazing work. And, you know, Evangelist, who just come off of winning an Oscar for Chariots of Fire, which is like a completely different world from this. It's like a very straightforward, you know, synthy, but like just just a, a hair away from cheesy. Yeah, I've never seen it. And the music is still amazing, but I just I don't I can't really connect. But that but that was a box hit. That must have done well. Yeah, I mean, huge. It was you know won a billion Oscars, and um, I don't know if it's aged as well as as Blade Runner. I don't know if people are as fond of it now as they were at the time, but um, probably not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like somebody who's kind of at the top of their game, and you know, R- Ridley Scott had just done Alien before this as well. So yeah. like people who were hot, kind of on the cutting edge of what they were doing, and um, yeah, it's uh crazy confluence of, of and i mean harrison ford as well like being one of the biggest stars in the world i think he just finished indiana jones when he uh started filming this okay okay so yeah. so this was like oh i'll do this little movie <laughs> yeah or just looking for something that had a little bit more weight to it because it's like you said star wars indiana yeah. jones it's like they're they're great movies but they're a lot lighter mm-hmm. um and he saw this as something that had a lot of substance um and you know i think he he was right in that respect totally yeah, Ridley Scott. I mean, I, I can't think of anything I've seen from him that wasn't great. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like he's still doing amazing things. Um, what was that? I think he co-produced a, an HBO thing, Raised by Wolves. That was great. So good. And it got canceled. It got canceled. Eh? I was so annoyed. Yeah. Yep. Two two seasons. It was good. The acting was great. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. yeah. And still that kind of unique. The theme music is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And a really unique take on uh, science fiction, again, like really uh, a, a different slant, bringing something to it that that people haven't experienced before. So to still be doing that, whatever, 45 years later is uh, is pretty amazing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm 45. Feeling it. Yeah. Feeling it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I feel uh, very satisfied. You feel feel good i don't know i've never done one of these <laughs> i i i feel good on your behalf but i feel i'm happy to talk about blade runner yeah it's nice to meet you man yeah you too where where are you based where are we new york new york yeah nice how's new york doing today it's a little uh gloomy outside Gray? yeah but it's this time of year the weather changes every five seconds here so that's pretty similar to what we're we're doing here yeah yeah all right. Um, well, thank you so much. This has been this has been really fun. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, fun. It was really good talking to you. Amazing stuff. Thanks again to Mishka. Takateka's new album Hagata will be released on June 9th, and you should listen to it. Okay. Quick spark of the week from me. I am a big Kurt Vonnegut fan. I love his writing. All of his books are amazing at least as far as I can remember some of them I haven't read in a long time. Anyway, I digress. I stumbled upon a documentary about him called Unstuck in Time. It was really interesting. It's on Hulu if you want to see it, if you're in a country where Hulu exists. Anyway, I digress again. Uh, It is about Vonnegut's life and career, as you would expect from a documentary about him, but it was made by Robert Whitey, 
who, um, in addition to being a documentarian, also directed most of the first five seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Amazing. Uh, It took nearly 40 years for Unstuck in Time to be made. Um, And over the course of that period, Whitey developed a really close 25-year relationship with Kurt Vonnegut. So that's a big part of the film. It's such a unique way to tell the story of a famous author's life, and I really enjoyed it. So if you are a Vonnegut fan, I think you should check it out. And that's about it from me. Please, please, I am begging you, follow me on social media at Spark Parade. Please also have a wonderful week full of joy and mystery. And until next time, uh, bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.